Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Evolve Pod. This is um, season three already, I can't believe how quickly it's come round. Um, we've had a few weeks off, uh, spending time with the family and just kind of taking a step back from some of my responsibilities. But I'm coming back with a bang. I'm coming back with a really good buddy of mine to to introduce this season three. James Lovell, I've known him since probably seven, eight years old. We used to hang about together. I've got a good network of friends between us. One of life's really, really top blokes. And since I've moved away from the Bath area where James, Bath, Bristol, where James, he still lives. Since then, our kind of lives have drifted in different directions. Um, and the last couple of years, we've actually been brought sort of closer together through some of the adversity that's been put in front of James um, that he's had to deal with over the last couple of years. And I approached James recently to see whether he wanted to share his story of the difficulties that he's faced over the last two years with you guys, the listeners on the Evolve pod. And he, I'm really really thankful that he's agreed to come on today and and share his story and and kind of enlighten enlighten people on um on what he's been through and, and how he's managed to cope so without further ado james how you doing it's good to have you on the pod buddy hey ali great to uh well what a lovely introduction um, oh, great welcome. to see you and uh yeah thanks for having me on hey you're welcome no it's um so the, as you know this pod is all about inspiring stories of of resilience and um mindset and positivity and, and what you've been through in the last few years that we're going to talk to the listeners about is it's huge and it's testament to you that you're sat here today and willing and open to share this story with, with me and the listener um so we go back quite a long way you know yeah. tell us a little bit about your your life over the last sort of 10-15 years you know you've you've gone into the corporate world you've uh, you've kept yourself busy with the cart with the go-karting just tell everybody a little bit about about normal life before the last two years for, for you. Yeah, great. Okay, so so normal life has been, yeah, for me, um, living as you say in in Cainshire between Bath and Bristol. Um, I have a family, a daughter who's ten. Her name is Lucy, and my son Jesse James. Uh, his he is two years old. He was born in in two thousand and nineteen. And my wonderful partner Sophie, uh, who is a teacher uh, at school in in Kingswood in Bristol. Um, so, so over the kind of last 10 to 15 years, um, you're absolutely right in what you say. I've um, been uh, moved into the corporate world or, or kind of semi-corporate world, I suppose. It, it's, it's close to a, a kind of public company as you can get uh, working for a utility, um, and that's Wessex Water. Um, and in fact, I've been there, it will be 21 years um, in, in June of this year, which is uh, quite amazing. Um, wow, 21 years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Jeez. I was... I was 19 when I started. It's crazy, isn't it? When you look look back on it, um, started you know uh, as a bit of a data guy, a bit of a, an admin guy, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of what I've achieved. So I work within the operations leadership team, and uh, and I've been very fortunate that, that, that to to have studied for a master's degree over the past five years, uh, and uh, and and yeah, um, you know, very, I suppose my kind of uh my kind of main thing is around people um leadership and management especially and uh, and getting the best out of people it's very much about my life's kind of uh, about others and i get the thrill of kind of achievement i suppose 
um, through others, if that makes sense. Um, and probably not somebody that puts my, or, or haven't certainly put myself first over that time. So I think, you know, to summarise last 10, 15 years, super busy life, really enjoyable, lovely family kind of supporting network, um, a great job, great group of people there, wonderful hobbies, including go-kart racing, as you alluded to, um, something I'm super passionate about. And, um, and yeah, and, you know, life's been good, mate, if I'm brutally honest with you. Yeah, no, and it seems like the go-karting is becoming a bit of a family affair, right? Yeah, so uh, just actually before lockdown, I got Lucy her first go-kart. So when you're eight years old, you're allowed, you can go to the you, you, the tracks so and you can go to, and use the higher carts and so on. You've got to be eight, eight years old. You've got to be a certain height. The loo's pretty tall, actually. Uh, and uh, so she, she did, we did a kart school uh, in February of last year. So just before lockdown, she just did amazing. And I'm so proud of how she she did it, it was an uh, emotional time for me she, she did this whole week of kart school and then did a race at the end and she finished on the podium uh, absolutely amazing. amazing and uh so uh, this cart came up cheaply and uh, we bought it and um she's had one go in it so far she she really loved it and yeah i hope to be able to um to go and do some more racing with her very very soon oh that's awesome that's really cool you know you um that, I mean, that's a, there's, there's so much more to, to, to you and, and your life than, than what you've managed to fit in there. And obviously we're limited for time on a podcast and I'm sure we could just talk, we could, you and I could just chat for hours. The things that I want to get into on this pod, you know, everybody who's listening can relate to 2020 and, and how, you know, that the, everything that's happened since March 2020 has directly affected every single one of us. One of the interesting things that I picked up on when we first chatted a couple of months ago, you said about how, you know, you thought 2019, when 2020 came along, you thought 2019 was, was a really, really hard year for you before, the, before what's happened in 2020. Kind of, you know, you alluded to your lifestyle there, your, your work, what you prioritise with your work, you've got your family, you've got your hobbies, you know, you're quite a busy lifestyle. What made 2019, you know, such a year that you kind of reflect back on it as that was a pretty stressful year yeah so 2019 was a, was a you know it was, it was a great year in many ways um but also a very challenging one so i suppose at the first the start of the year um jesse was born he was born in, in february of that year um so that was you know fantastic uh you know beautiful healthy boy um sophie was good as well uh, although there was a, a few issues so it was an amazing time, you know what it's like to have children, but also quite kind of stressful at the same time, a bit of worry going on and all of that stuff. Um, and then we uh, we moved house that year and they say, uh, yeah. and they say if you, if you, if you, if the biggest cause of relationship breakdowns are uh, actually moving house, but, uh, or getting married, the run up to getting married, apparently. Um, but I've not you've done that. You've got that yet. one to come yet. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> come on, we've only been engaged for 12 years. You, you've got to test the water first, right? Uh, and uh, uh, and so yeah that was you know that was tricky you know sorting out all the mortgages and all of that kind of stuff you know that was uh, trying to sell our house pretty stressful stuff and and then it worked you know I, I've been really fortunate and, and I'm as I said before you know something I'm really proud of I've been given the opportunity to work on the, the operations leadership team um, and uh, it's it's been absolutely great but we had some real challenges in 2019 and, and when you're in an operational job um, and very committed to it, it's very difficult to kind of step away. And, and as I said before, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, some kind of philanthropist, but um, 
you know, you when your focus is on others, motivation, looking after them, all of that stuff, you know, you feel kind of you 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 I've I've always been the a person that feels that I need to be there and just support them. And I think that that's appreciated. Um, you know, we've all been there in these kind of operational roles. So I've been there in these operational roles before, and they're very, very intense. So when the problems kind of start, then I, I've always felt the need to kind of really be there and support my team to get through them, and which we absolutely did. Um, but it was very challenging along the way. At the end of the year, we achieved some really great things. Um, you know, we were very good in, in terms of our industry status, um, but it was, it was tough and it was hard on a lot of people. So, so moving forward then into 2020, uh, we, we kind of got the team together and, and did a, a big thing on, on kind of where we should go next. And, and, and the team, was, uh, you know, the 100 people in my team, the team as a whole decided uh, kind of how the structure might look, what we should be focusing on to allow us to, to, to be far better supported in carrying out our roles as we work forward. Um, and that's what we put into place. So the end of 2019 was a was a kind of a blessing, and we were really looking forward to 2020 with with great things in place from a work perspective, a new addition to the family, a new house. You know, things were looking really great. So in 2019, obviously, you know, you've painted a picture there of a tough year, but equally successful. And and you know, there's the phrase, nothing ever comes easy. For you personally, in 2019, as an example, when when the going was getting a bit tough, how did you look after yourself? What what sort of priorities did you make for yourself back in 2019 to kind of look after your well-being? Yeah, uh, that's quite an interesting question. I think I'm not a lot. I think is the answer. If I'm honest with you, Ali, Mm -hmm. I think I'm. I've I've definitely. put myself probably second uh, and kind of everything else has come first. I've also probably been a bit guilty of putting family second on occasion. And that's something perhaps we'll talk about later on and, you know, my, what I intend to do in the future and what I might change in my life. As, as in you put family work before family or or yourself before your family? How, how do you mean you put your family second? I think, I, 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 no, I, I wouldn't say it's a tricky one, really, because yeah. I think, you know, I'm, work, I'm so passionate about work. I just, you know, I love it. I love the company. Um, I love everything that we're trying to achieve. And I think that be, because of the kind of my my will to support and, and be there and, and uh, you know, get the best out of everybody whilst supporting others at the same time means that perhaps the hours have been quite prolonged, um, you know, and perhaps I've not always been present at home with, um, with the family. Uh, and I didn't know any of this, if I'm honest. And I, you know, and I'm a guy that kind of works, builds off reflection. That's my, my grounding is reflecting on everything to see whether you're doing it right. Sometimes I can be over critical of self, definitely through that approach. But somehow I've managed to miss this blind, miss massive, bloody great blind spot that says, oh, yeah, you're not really have been around that much for your family and stuff. Um, yeah. And then hindsight probably didn't really think too much about myself. Um you know, very focused on on kind of what what I wanted to achieve, how I wanted others to kind of you know, feel supported and and uh, yeah, so all for the right reasons. But perhaps I just yeah took the eye took took to uh, drop the ball a bit with myself and probably with my family at the same time. Yeah, I think um you know we're going to talk about lockdown. Obviously, it's 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 going to come up. But one of the things that you know I certainly felt when you know all the 
travel and all the rushing around was, you know, enforced, enforcedly taken away. One of the first things that certainly my wife Annie and I reflected on was, oh, hang on a minute, we've got suddenly got a lot more time at home with the family, and you suddenly realise what you've lost in terms of the rushing around and commitment to the things that you can't commit to because they don't exist anymore. Suddenly you've got this time and this space that you might have ne been neglecting. I think I was certainly guilty of it, like what you just said there, putting work things first or other priorities potentially first. And when those are taken away, you suddenly actually kind of almost reflect back to what's sort of naturally important. And yeah, that's really that's really interesting to hear. And I think there's a lot of people out there in exactly the same scenario as yourself, very committed, very professional, want to get the best, but potentially looking back with a little reflection of at what cost. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. So yeah, then, so obviously 2020 probably kicks off quite positively. And then, you know, as we all know, March lockdown happens. What, what did that mean for you as a, as an individual and, and, and as a family in terms of lockdown? Yeah, I think it was a funny one. So, so the way I look back at it, I think um, at the start, and, you know, this kind of well um, discussed in the media, but there was this kind of British spirit, wasn't there? The rallying around and, yeah. you know, just getting on with it. We will do what we need to do to get through the situation. It'll only be a few weeks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this kind of collaborative, like, effort, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, so I quite like that. And I think that that rubbed off then on everybody, you know, in the, in the workplace, the family and so on. And I think that, yeah, it, it was, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, we, we didn't know when it was going to end, but I don't think anybody thought that it was going to go on for months and months. So I think, um, yeah, the start of it, it was everybody was, I think, fairly positive, kind of buoyed by it to an extent. Uh, and yeah, it was a case of rallying around and just getting on with things and we're doing doing what we need to for our country. <laughs> yeah. That was a bit cheesy. <laughs> well, no, I know what you mean, though. It's like, you know, it is a very British thing to do. You know, we will get through this. It won't be won't take very long, and you know, and, and we'll just crack on with it. Did you find, um, I mean, for you work-wise, did work kind of just carry on as usual, but just flip to being being at home? Yeah, well, it, it has to. So, so in yeah. an operational world, you know, I work with uh, with sewage. Sewage is is, is my thing. Um, uh, waste treatment is the is the role in which I do. So, the business has still got to run. So, we had to very quickly establish ways in which we could do this in a safe manner. Um, very regular check-ins with the team. Lots of, you know, the rules were kind of changing very rapidly. So we had to move with that. But it was kind of exciting, I think, to start with, if I'm honest. And uh, and it was just great with the team, working with the, the, the teams at Wessex. Everybody was just so, you know, we're in this together. And we're and, and that spirit, as I alluded to earlier on. Um, and it was good. Uh, and uh, and so two weeks passed and I of working from my home. And I I'd absolutely had enough of that by then. <laughs> Um, but being, you know, an operational guy uh, and I suppose a key worker, um, you know, I was able to get out and, and, I, and I felt that being able to um, see people be visible from a kind of leadership perspective was a really important thing. Um, so from a distance, safely, of course, um, I was able to, you know, still get out there and drive down to Pool, etc. And, and, and the Dorset Coast where I would, where I normally work um, and, and see the team, you know, who were really kind of doing some you know great things during a very difficult uh, time in everybody's lives yeah um but i think that as i said before 
we thought that this was gonna you know might might be a month or something like that and uh, i don't think anybody is envisaged you know certainly a year on looking back at what's happened with covid is that it would be so prolonged and have such a profound effect on on everybody yeah absolutely i mean it's still it's still hitting pretty hard to a lot for a lot of people um and I suppose on that note, it does that naturally lead me on to the next part of your story, which I'd like to hand over to you really to kind of to, to explain to the li- the listeners sort of what happened next in sort of around April, May time of, of 2020. Because um, obviously everybody has been touched by COVID, by lockdown in one way or another um, to various different degrees. But yeah, I mean, what happened with you was just another level of, 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 of pressure of um I don't can't really find the right word to describe it and 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 I guess in passing over to you to talk about that the next step then um yeah it could be quite well it's going to be quite powerful to listen to so yeah over to you mate okay no, thanks Ali so I think I'll just finish off the bit that I around um, kind of the COVID so so one of the things, hopefully, I'm going to lead on to my next part of the story uh, like a professional or, or maybe not. Um, but we, so, so at the, as, as the lockdown continued, um, we thought about uh, as a company how we can really support our staff. So we were very grateful for what everybody was doing. Incredibly grateful. And, you know, the people of West Water are just amazing people. They really are. They've been through a tough, very tough time recently as well. Um, but we were very aware of well-being, um, mental, the mental health side of things. You know, we've done a lot of work in that area, mental health first aiders and so on. Um, so there was a couple of initiatives that we brought in. And the first one, my great colleague and friend Lucy um, brought in some, some mindfulness relaxation sessions um, through uh, a, a, actually a charity I've, I've now become very um, close to and it's a, a cancer charity called Penny Bron based just outside of Bristol uh, and Jamie Barrett uh, came in a, a, a number of times a week and did some some remote uh, relaxation sessions which was absolutely amazing so people could dial, dial in and, and I think lots of people got a, a huge amount out of them and I uh, did something um, to, uh, we, to, to, to help everybody's kind of physical well-being and we put some uh, fit, online fitness classes on so my good friend Mike Spiring um, in Canesham, he he did twice a week. We did a a, a hit class uh, for anybody in Wessex to to join in, um, and they went down really well. And we 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 asked for uh, if possible for a charity charitable donation, uh, and we raised a bit of cash that will at some point put forward to towards a great cause. So that went down really well. So to lead, so this is going to lead nicely onto then my uh, the bad situation that followed is that. I, these classes and the other exercise stuff that I was doing got me probably in the best shape that I've been in for a while. Um, and uh, the, on, a, on one Thursday, uh, sorry, once, uh, yeah, one Thursday, I had, uh, we, we did one of these online classes. I did it in the office actually in Salford. And um, my heart was all funny. The, the, my heart rate kind of stayed up. It didn't go down anyway. I drove home. I had to stop on the way home because something wasn't right got home, it was still kind of doing it, and then it stopped, the, and, 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 uh, and, and that was that. So the following day, on the Friday, quite a poignant day actually, took Lucy out on a, in a go-kart for the first time. We went down uh, to an airfield in Somerset, and she, she went around on the, on the go-kart, while I was running around afterwards, 
proudest day of my life, but one of the proudest days of my life. <laughs> and uh, then on the Saturday morning, another hit class, heart was all over the place. After the, after the session, it's going up to 200 beats per minute, down to 60 beats per minute, all over the shop. Phone 111. Uh, yeah, better, better go into to, to A&E, get yourself looked at. So this was the 14th or 13th or 14th of June last uh, 2020. I went to the Royal United Hospital in Bath, um, as you know, and uh, had uh, an X-ray straight in because it was my heart, actually. Had an X-ray, had a CT scan, um, six o'clock in the evening. I'm on the, um, I don't know which ward it is, the, um, the acute assessment ward or something like that. The very nice doctor, her name was Rebecca Mason, I remember it now, came over to me, shut the curtains and told me that I have a very large mass uh, growing in my chest, um, in my mediastinum, which is where your heart is, is where your um, you know, number of lymph nodes that travel through your, through your body, um, your aorta, and it's quite an important space from how she explained yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that was quite a kind of difficult. So, uh, well, I mean, I was just brutally in shock. So I've had this atrial fibrillation and I'm thinking, right, there's something wrong with my ticker. But no, it turns out that this huge mass that's growing inside me is pushing against my heart and causing this issue. Um, and, uh, you know, I respect Dr. Mason incredibly. And the way she told me um, was was nice because um, it was, you know, it, it, during we're still in, in lockdown or at that point, we were just coming out of the kind of first one. You can't have anybody in there with you. You're on your own. You know, you're masked up. Um, and that's and that was pretty tough. Um, However, in, in hindsight, it might it was maybe a better thing because all the way through then the process that followed, I've always been on my own to take the information and then I can relay that back in a way to my friends and my family in a way that I feel is appropriate and nobody else has to go through that pain with me. Um, and that, I know, maybe I, you might say to me, well, you're perhaps not looking after yourself there, James, you know, you need a bit of support with you. But no, I, I, if you were thinking that, then I would disagree. And I think, well, no, actually, I, I've now become used to this and it would be weird if somebody else was with, with me and I, I want to deal with this situation on my own and I as I say I want to relay that information and what is said and the news and so on in, in, in the, the, the way that I see fit but what happened then what followed for the next five days that I've had um, uh, I, I've, had, I've stayed in hospital I had a number of uh, number of more tests a CT scan a PET scan which is a it's like a radioactive, uh, I can't explain exactly what it is, but you know, they put this radioactive stuff into you and it shows up any potential problems. So it, it, it does it in colour effectively. Uh, and that can show, you know, potentially whether something is cancerous or, or not. Um, and then I had a biopsy. Uh, after, the, after five days, I went home. And I think it was the following uh, week, I was contacted um, with the results of, of the biopsy. So just prior to that, though, on, on, on leaving hospital, um, our good friend, Jane Stevens, actually, his, his mother, Diane, God bless Diane, she she's, she's, uh, was suffering from small cell lung cancer at the time. But she, she had uh, been introduced to, to some people in London that she thought might be able to help and was already on the phone to them saying, look, wow, yeah. you've got our oh, great good friend, James, has got this, bloody great mass growing inside of him 
what do you think it is? Um, so I had a chat with him before um, the, uh, the the biopsy came through. So this was a guy called Dr. David Lawrence. So he's a, a an incredible cardiothoracic surgeon um, based in London and a cracking guy, actually, somebody that's ended up being a, a mentor of mine. Uh, and he had a look at it and he said, right, it's either a thymoma, a germ cell tumour, or very small chance that it's a lymphoma. The thymoma is a, uh, is a it's, it's removable through operation, um, but you know, good chance of cure. Germ cell, I think it was possibly operation chemo, good chance of cure. Lymphoma, chemo, cure. It seemed to be the lymphoma, lymphoma one was the kind of the good news one if it was that, but it was unlikely. Anyway, biopsy results came back. It's, it's diffused large B cell lymphoma. Um, so I thought, wow, I, I was not, um, you know, kind of prepared for that because uh, we thought that it was probably a thymoma and I was, we were in the process of booking me in um, for an operation to have that removed. So lymphoma was actually good news. Um, and the subsequent biopsy was, uh, confirmed it as primary mediastinal large B-cell lymphoma. So it's a bit of a mouthful and you probably would never have met anybody with primary mediastinal large B-cell lymphoma because it's bloody rare. Um, and it's something that affects uh, uh, median age of 35, predominantly women. So I'm super unlucky to have got this. I think it accounts to something like 3% of all non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, which this is. And to put it into context, there's 500, uh, the RUH in Bath covers 500,000 people, or a population of 500,000 people. And I am the only person at the RUH being treated for this type of lymphoma. So it's pretty rare. Yeah, wow. So, so I had a chat, relayed that to, 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 to um, David Lawrence in London. He said, this is great news. And I said, well, it, it, the first time anybody told me <laughs> having cancer is great news. Um, but, you know, maybe he was right. I then had a call from a guy called uh, Phil Robson, Dr. Philip Robson at the IUH in Bath. He said, um, I've, uh, I've just picked up your case. There's some chat about you potentially having some treatment elsewhere. He said, I you know, I, I want to treat you. Um, we've got you got we've got you booked in for chemo next week. And I was like, well, wow, my goodness, this is this is, you know, this is 10 days after the, the me going into hospital, by the way. And uh, from from there, I, then I went in to meet him the following day. And I just love the guy. He was so he was very positive. He told me straight how it was. He said, you, you know, what I remember from the start of the conversation is that I said, look, I don't want to know statistics. I think I've got a reasonable chance, but I, I don't, let's not, please don't go through that with me um, ever. <laughs> and uh, he said, fine. He said, but I do want to tell you that you have a very, very good chance of getting over this and potentially curing it. That were his, were his exact words. He was very, just, he came across as hugely knowledgeable. He's our age uh, and just somebody I connected to completely. So it was, you know, I, not that there was necessarily a choice, but he, he was, you know, my man and he booked me in for the chemo the following week. So after, so it was bang on two weeks after going into hospital, I'm starting chemotherapy. Chemotherapy was going to be probably six rounds of chemotherapy. It's a multi-agent chemotherapy. So it's fairly brutal um, or potentially is. 
but is is normally very successful and um and then i'd probably have some radiotherapy um at the end of it so kind of that was it uh, in terms of the um you know where where the, the start of this journey um and kind of how i felt at this point was that um you know it was shock definitely uh, you know huge shock um i don't feel you know looking back and i don't i've never been oh i've had my ups and downs kind of emotionally um and we'll talk about my strategy to how I, how I cope with it later on. But it's been, you know, tough. I don't think my my thought process has never been or my kind of feelings have never been about me. I've never been, I wouldn't say, and I don't like to talk about, I'll say the word, but I don't like to talk about mortality. People kind of do. But that's kind of never been a, an option for me and a never never something that I've, I've, I've really thought about um, in too much detail by one time. Um, and uh, it was very much about kind of others uh, again at this point in time. So looking up, you know, thinking about the family, you know, what happens next? How are we going to cope with this? Uh, but you know, always uh, feeling that there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I felt hope and determination, I suppose, at that point. Um, very determined. And and what I was blessed with is that I had this incredible already. You know, we're only two weeks into this journey, effectively, but I had already had this incredible network of support. So that's my family and my friends and my colleagues at work. And, and everybody's just been amazing, you know, and I, and I feel so guilty of having to put this on my, you know, my mum and my sister, especially, and, you know, and Sophie and, you know, and everybody. And obviously I had to relay that news to Sophie, uh, to, to Lucy in a perhaps different way. She, she understands that I had a big spot growing inside me, yeah. you know, and that's fair enough. You know, we don't, yeah, as time went on, I told her what it was and it's, I said, it's a type of cancer. And, um, she now knows everything about it but it was just a case of being really kind of delicate and explaining that because you know my father died five years ago as you know um from cancer and um she associates she previously associated associated cancer with with death because that was her only experience and and she was only five when um when dad died and um you know but it, and it hit her quite hard and uh but now five years on she's definitely in a different place and you know she's had some real troubles um, in terms of anxiety and so on over the last few years but she's definitely she's more resilient now than she ever is she's a great girl she 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 really is she's good fun she doesn't do a bloody thing that I'm told but she's <laughs> she understands things and you can have proper conversations with her but as I said I just had to relay that information in the most appropriate way as I have done all the way through um and then my yeah my, my work colleagues and like I said it's you know the passion my passion for work never leaves and I'm just so in incredibly um you know indebted not indebted that's the wrong word um you know, or in debt of the, the company not that's not the case it's like a huge family um and they would i'm just so grateful for the support that they've given me they, they you know the genuine care and concern um and it's just an amazing group of people and it, and, it, and it, I, I think that's the bit that makes me really emotional it, the well like talk, talking about this whole thing is that it's, it's just that i felt that you know, whilst I know that I, I would have been there to support my colleagues, you didn't, I, I've never expected the level of support that I've, that I've had. And that, that's a bit that kind of, when I look back, I think, you know, my my boss, who's an, you know, an executive director of the company, was just, you know, from day one with me, I'm told him what's going on. He's he just, just so supportive. Um, you know, the CEO being in direct contact, um, you know, just wishing his support and anything they can do to help. I just... 
you know, that that bit is the bit that I, if I really kind of want to talk about that now, mate, I'd, I'd be in bits probably. And I, it's just one of the most poignant things that kind of happened on this journey. And I just didn't expect that. Maybe that was naivety and I should have expected that, knowing how incredibly caring, um, you know, the company is. But, yeah, that that kind of sticks with me. Can so, I, can so I jump in and, and ask you a question? Please do, because I yeah, feel like yeah, I'm yeah. rambling on. There's, yeah. there's, there's a couple of things that have come to mind. <laughs> First of all, like when you when you're in hospital for the first time, uh, and you know relaying messages to your immediate friends and family that you know you wanted to tell them what was going on in your own way, I think that's really strong. No one can tell you how to deal with that scenario until you're in that scenario yourself. You know, yeah. I couldn't tell you. None of the listeners could tell you how to deal with that because it's a unique, unique thing of being in that scenario with. COVID lockdown and then having that stress and not being able to be with anybody else, how to deal with that. But I think that's a really strong reaction because you're immediately taking control of that situation and the gravity or the potential gravity of that scenario, you've got to take control, I think. And I think you, from the outset, it comes across like you were very much like, okay, this is real, this is happening, it's really not very good, but you know, like you said, you didn't want to think about the mortality. You wanted to think about the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's 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 huge in this kind of almost the success of where you are now. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, but the thing that I'd like to just talk about, if you don't mind, is when you said you felt guilty about, you know, sharing this or putting this responsibility on others to almost, you know, look after you or like bear with me while I go through this. Do you think that's the thing that you would have previously done anyway with other scenarios that might have come up? Like you don't want to burden people with, you know, the classic, like, I don't want to burden you with my shit. When actually, you know, you said if someone else was to be in your scenario, you'd be more than happy to help them out in any way that you possibly could. But then when the shoe's on your foot, you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to burden people with, with my stuff because they've already got their own stuff going on. I think that's quite a, a male thing to do. We're yeah. all guilty of it. You know, looking back, you know, like you said, if, if someone else was in the same scenario, I, I know you would be one of the first people to to, to drop what you can and, and to help out. And I think that guilt thing, it's a, it's a really, I, th- I find it really interesting. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. I just, I'd, I'd like to dig a little bit more deeper into that, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I've worked. So, so yeah, I think, yeah, helping others and, you know, you're, a man that likes to help others, a person that helps like others. Um, you know, your this is you know your whole your, your career now. Uh, you know, it is more than a career. It's it's you know it's all about help. You know, helping others, and and that's I suppose yeah. You know, I started this conversation saying yeah, I'm you know I'm into the leadership and management stuff, and you know it's about others, and and you know I, I'd say you know I want to be successful in myself. I'm not brutally ambitious. I'm ambitious morally um if that makes any sense yeah so so i want to do always do things in the right way never take the, the credit for something somebody else has achieved you know hope to build people up and, and to want to achieve themselves and then you get this kind of uh you know this 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 accountability ownership piece that you know people that look up hopefully want to do a great job and want to look after themselves and, and do all that thing um so if I was to, you know, say if we would go back to this kind of guilt thing, yeah, I definitely felt that. Um, and it was and like it was totally needless because everybody's just been so concerned about me and and just you know how I'm doing. Whereas I was con- 
a bit concerned about how you know they're feeling about how about how they're feeling about me <laughs> and you know having yeah a bit of a, you know, which is just pretty messed up isn't it and um yeah the burden of of um you know being unwell and the burden of people having to do my job and and but that that you know nobody has ever ever said giving an inkling that that's a you know problem and everybody just wanted to be there for me and I think I I totally accepted that after a while and I think that you know when you say about whether I've you know always um you know perhaps not always shared my stuff um, and just kind of dealt with it I think that's fair you know I'd always talk about it Mm. I'm I'm, you know I'm really happy to talk about you know my stuff and what's going on but maybe I'm, I was always better with that, with a third party and not necessarily sharing that with my, you know, always my, my close friends and my family. Um, yeah. And I think that now I've become far better at sharing how I'm feeling, especially with Sophie, you know, but she's, you know, she's just been a rock through all of this. Um, and I felt, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to number of it stuff I did it at the start but now no 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 we you know we, we I talk tell her absolutely everything now it's going on and she can she's you know she's great in terms of how she kind of gets me to feel a bit better about things and most of the time it's it's like shut up you know you're fine just get on with it <laughs> and the funny thing is and I'll if you don't mind I've got a bit of an interesting story here so there's a bit of it's a reassurance is is like is is the main thing it's so nobody can reassure you that you're going to be completely okay and i get that uh and i know that you know statistically you get a you've got a you get a good shot with this one you know and if you're a, i think if you're a good nick to start with then you you know you have got a good chance of getting over it um so in terms of the uh the the treatment and stuff so i had six rounds of chemo and then 15 cycles of of radiotherapy um, and the chemo I tolerated pretty well. Um, you know, lots of people said the chemo is really tough physically. And uh, yeah, it was, it was all, but it's a means to an end. So, you, you know, you can you deal with it. Um, and I'd say to people uh, after the chemo had finished that it's like a 60-40 split. So 60, uh, 40% of it is a, is a physical issue and 60% is, is a mental, is your mind, is a, is a mental problem. And actually, I think it's 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 the scales have tipped again towards the mental side of things it's 70 percent i would say now is the mental aspect that you have to deal with and 30 percent is the physical bit so that's something that's been kind of quite um it's been a, it's, a, it's been a difficult thing and something that i've been um you know very in in touch with kind of how i'm feeling on my, myself but never this is i've never had this challenge before clearly and something that I had to establish how I would get get over things. But what was the, the the point of this bit is that some of the things that would come out and some of the reassuring elements. So trying you're trying to find yourself some reassurances, you know, is one of those things. And um, you know, I got some good reassurance from Dr. Robson. Um, you know, he he can't say, yeah, you're going to be absolutely fine. Of course, he can't. It was always positive, and he'd tell me in a way he he was full of emotional intelligence, and he'd tell me in a way that I felt it was a bespoke way to me um and he would tell me very straight what was going on but he, he always put it in a way that was you know, that was positive because at the end of the day this has been quite a positive process so far we've we've, we've, we've come a long way but some of the things like uh i i, I had they've got this amazing uh, macmillan nurse um her uh, her name's Teresa peters 
I can hear my son crying. I'm just going to shut the door. No worries. George, he'll be right down on his own. No, he's, don't worry. He's with my mum. <laughs> and uh, and Teresa's great. So she'd get a weekly email from me uh, during the during the treatment to set to because uh, uh, I'd be worrying and panicking about something. So one of the things um, that uh, those uh, that, that people going through the majority of chemotherapy know is that they lose their hair. Um, and for those that are kind of slightly follicling challenged like you and I, Ali, maybe it doesn't make such a difference. So <laughs> after a couple of weeks of the first round of chemotherapy, my hair started to fall out and it f- fell out real quick. My beard came out. The whole lot went. It was, um, yeah, it was one of those things I expected there. Not a problem. Um, but then it kind of stopped falling out and it was all patchy. And this drove me into, oh, into a meltdown. Um, and so I was desperately trying to get uh, de- desperately trying to get some reassurance that this is a normal thing so in my mind the chemo had stopped working because my hair had stopped falling out I mean how bloody stupid is that but that was it was such a massive deal Ali at that time I, I emailed Teresa and uh, she was off actually I spoke to her colleague and, she, and, her, and her colleague said I, I don't really see what you're kind of what the problem is here and I was there getting my absolutely tying myself up in knots because I didn't feel like I had enough hair had left my head. And then Teresa came back in after a holiday on a Monday and she was just so reassuring, bless her. And she said, you know, I don't think you've got anything to be worried about there. You know, I, I think she inferred shit stop it's a bloody stupid James. Um, obviously, she's very professional and she, she wouldn't have ever said that. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of one of those one of those reassuring elements, and um, and it was just a kind of a silly story. But at that time, it just meant so so much to me, and it was I was really in a you know a difficult place because of of this this thing that I thought was not normal. Um, there's so, a real there's a real yeah. theme here in 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 terms of all all the names that you've mentioned since going into hospital on that Saturday originally. There's a real theme with the names, all the names that you've mentioned. It's really cool because you remember them because they've given you a sort of injection of positivity. They've given you some sort of um, of reason to put things into put back into perspective or to help you manage things in your way. And I guess that's testament to the types of people that do those jobs and help people, you know, in scenarios such as yourselves. The positivity is so important. It's so key to the success. It's so key to, to every single thing that you want to do. It, the more positive you are about it, the better the chance of a positive outcome at the end of it. And I've, I'm, and you know, kind of going off, of course, a little bit. I've had some interactions with you over the last twelve months, and like for me to put myself in your shoes and to read the messages that you're sending back to me, you know, I was so in awe of your ability to, to stay positive and I, and I think it's a real theme and a trend of what your story so far the way you've approached it all is that that element of positivity that's come in and, and your ability to kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel but understand you've got to get yourself through that tunnel first it's really cool I, 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 yeah it's just, it is amazing how you, how you've kind of I, I don't know whether you've reflected on it like that before but all the people that you've brought up so far they all seem like amazingly positive incredible people that you know and they obviously mean a lot to you because you remember them by their names and and that's really cool and and, and so how did people like that help you through your recovery well I think they you know um well they certainly do I mean there's 
I mean, touching on those on those names, yeah, I mean, they're, they're certainly hugely important people in my life right now. And I even remember, so I've got a good, there's a good story about, so, so I've, some, I've got some friends that work in, in the RUH as, as well, and, um, you know, they've been supportive all the way through. And even when I ended up in um, the short stay ward on day one, there was a, a, a lady called Leah um, who... Um, who has I remembered her from the start. She was just very encouraging and um, you know very kind of thorough. And uh, yeah, we just kind of got on straight away. Um, I think I was trying to t- take my mind off everything that was going on. We didn't really know what the what the crap was with it at that point. And she's actually become a really great friend as well. And so thinking about how they've helped me in my recovery. Well, yeah, they're really they're prominently in my life still. Um, and uh, you know, Leah's gone on and she works in a different area of the hospital now. We still keep in touch. We went out on the dog walk the other day and um, we, you know, she's just been really kind of supported. And you think sometimes there's um, there's this kind of like parent-child relationship thing, if, if you know what I mean. It's, it's, kind, it's yeah, kind of yeah. weird. So yeah. in, my, in, my lo- in my life, I've been predominantly the pa- parent. So in my working capacity, I've, I've been since quite a young age in a leadership role. So I've been the kind of the parent although that's not my leadership approach at all it's it's not like that but you kind of default into this position and you're the one giving reassurances to others even with your boss you know in recent times you know doing dealing with operational problems all this kind of stuff you're saying um i've got this strategy to resolve this problem it's going to be all right you know that kind of thing and then now you're in this place where you you're completely not in control of your uh, own destiny here well you are perhaps to an extent but um but but medically you're not, and um, and so you want others to kind of take that role of parent away from you and and, um, and give the reassurances. So all those names that I've mentioned, including you know my good friend Leah and my my other good friends that work into the work in the hospital, you know they most of them know absolutely nothing about my disease or what I'm going through, going through. But they work in the hospital, so you know they're a, a good sounding board. And just because they're wonderful people of the NHS are just they have this in this built-in caring nature of support they always manage to say the right thing so I think they've all been hugely um uh you know hugely helpful in my in my kind of road to recovery um and and just to kind of move on from that so kind of where I am now is that um, I had a um I had a good chat with Dr Robson uh, last week so the 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 keep the, the, the treatment overall has gone well um, it, it reduced hugely inside. So this thing was massive. It was um, the actual mass size was 18 centimeters, would you believe it? Which is a whopper. It was all in one place, which is good. So it was early stage. Uh, the actual size of the kind of active lymphoma was about 10 centimeters, um, and it's just continued to reduce and reduce and reduce. And the last PET scan said it was very, very small. Not a lot there. It's kind of debatable whether it's kind of alive or dead. So they score me a. Uh, if I was a score three, I would be in complete remission. I'm score four, so I'm in partial remission. Um, but it, these, this type has got the potential just to continue to reduce in size and disappear. However, there is a chance that I might need more treatment. And Dr. Robson was clear about that. And I totally understand it. So I'm going back in three months' time, um, and I'll have another scan and see where we're at with it. And the PET scans show you kind of activity. They don't say necessarily whether it's cancer or lymphoma or not. Um, but they, they just show some areas of, of, of activity that could be something uh, to be concerned about. So 
that would then prompt a, a biopsy. So I, I kind of got the feeling that, you know, if Dr. Robson was really concerned, we'd be doing a biopsy right now, or we'd be heading straight into more treatment. So the fact that we're waiting for three months, see what happens, um, says that's a, you know, it's a pretty good result. Obviously, the, the, the best perfect result would have been complete remission. Mm. You know, in hindsight, I'm not, not sure whether complete remission would have, would have changed my kind of uh, 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 men, my, my feelings and my approach mentally to this at all in fact that I've got a bit more reassurance because you know no treatment I'm actually starting to feel well um, and three months time they're going to check up on me if there's anything going on they're just going to crack on and, and, on, and treat it so it's not um, you know that that's probably a better position to be in because if I was in complete yeah. remission then I wouldn't have had another scan anyway that's that's Sort of where we're at so we've found a little bit of reassurance from him he says you know crack on and get yourself fit get yourself back to your levels of fitness previously so that's what i'm doing so it's definitely um in terms of you know moving forward um it is that i'm definitely you know trying to uh, be physically active um i'm trying to um you know do things that are, are gonna kind of really help me and help my health as a whole uh, and, and, and really focusing on on my my well-being and mindfulness, and my mental well-being, and, uh, and using relaxation methods uh, and so on to get myself back into a into a place which is you know a really healthy state, uh, all-encompassing state, um, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, I, obviously, I've been listening for the last. I think we've been recording nearly an hour. I, I have a I have a firm. Uh, understanding or firm uh, belief that no matter how excuse my language no matter how shit a scenario seems no matter how bad it seems I do believe if you look hard enough and with the right mindset and the right attitude there's always at least a positive to find and what you've just relayed in in the last you know in the, in the last five, 10 minutes alone, let alone the whole recording of the podcast, is it totally cements that belief that no matter how bad a scenario is, with the right attitude, the right mindset, you, know, you found loads of positivity and loads of good stuff has come from what potentially could have been and probably was at times really bad and really awful. Um, I love it. I, I I genuinely love your story, and I love the way you've kind of you're, you're, you you know you you've come out of it at the other end. You know, it's not 100% in the clear, but you come out at the other end. You you've made some lifelong friends from this. You've got a different outlook on life. You know, you look talking about things like mindfulness. You know, if I'd have said to you five, six, seven years ago, or even on my stag do, remember <laughs> my stag do in Edinburgh. I, was I saying, can't remember a lot of that, Ali. Yeah. <laughs> James, in 2020, in 2021, you'll be doing mindfulness. You would have told me to, to do one, not Yeah, I'd say have another pint of tenants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just, there's so much, you know, we've both been on a journey since then, but this is one of those stories, one of those uh, life experiences that I, I you know, I, I think has really made made you moving forwards what's the difference in your opinion now what's the difference between James pre let's say 2020 and James sort of now and moving forwards yeah uh, I think um wow I mean that is a that's a big question <laughs> bloody hell um right I think uh 
there's things I don't want to lose about my character, my personality. Yeah. And there, but there are things that I want to change. I think if I if I if I look back and and, and think about how I, um, I mean, take, let, let's think about the cope, my strategy. So the the, the, the coping strategies. Let's call it that. Um, I managed to find a way that works. So you kind of with this thing, you 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 the process is you have some treatment, then they check on you, see how it's doing, um, and you have some quite key points. So you're kind of midway at the end. Um, and then so on. So you, you're obviously hoping for good news all the way through. And I'm, I've been fortunate, you know, it's been good news all the way through. It's not been perfect because some people are, you know, well into remission by now. I'm not completely, well, it's kind of, it's not categorical yet, but it's close. And I know that the, the outlook is, I feel like the outlook is good, um, regardless of whether I have any more treatment or, or, or not. So let, let's let's kind of hope that that's the case. So when it, but when it came to news um, at those points, um, I felt kind of foul of of um, uh, of doing things, or I very quickly, should I say, found that certain approaches would really affect my kind of mental health and the way I felt about my situation. So, Doctor Google is the big one. So, you would have heard about this. So, Doctor Google, nothing any good can come from Doctor Google. Um, and I've got some pretty strong words I could use about him uh, or her, um, but, I, but I won't. Um, do this uh, on this um, this this podcast but I learned how to kind of cope with that so and actually found it a, a way of using it beneficially so what I would do is after after a consultation we'd have the crack and then he'd say this that and the other so I'd be straight onto Google at the start and I, I'd be on it all the time looking at looking at stuff reading you know uh, papers and things like that on the on the situation and it didn't do me any good at all so after chemo two which was the only point when I questioned whether I was going to get through this or not, was I found this, I've got this, some mutations with the, 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 um, the type that I have. And in, a, in another type of lymphoma, it means that it can be, it's very, very difficult to, to treat. Not untreatable, but it's difficult. And I read about this and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be really hard. Now, uh, and that went on for a couple of weeks until I eventually found an article that said, no, actually, in the type that you have, this very rare subtype of lymphoma, that those mutations mean nothing. You know, there's not absolutely nothing at all. And I did find that in the end. So whilst Google took me into a really dark place, I was so very fortunate to find some information that took me back out uh, on the, you know, on the trajectory that was was upwards, upwards again. Um, and so what I did moving forward, I, allow, I just allow myself a little bit of time, no more than 24 hours. 24 hours after any cons- consultation, I allow myself to have a quick look at, at Google. I know not. I know the questions now not to put into Google because you don't want to ask questions that, where you don't where you don't want to know the answer. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and so 24 hours, just check over what the what the docs just said, uh, and um, uh, and see how we feel from there. So now I use that to my benefit. So I had the consultation last week. I understand where I am. Understand that it's more likely that I won't need any more chemotherapy, but there is still a chance that I will. And, and, and then had a bit of a chat with some people on the forum, been in this place, score four, not quite in remission, you know, in, in the future, they, they found remission. So positivity, I'm thinking that then that's what I'm, you know, that's what's going through my mind all the time. And then of course the other, but, but through the treatment, so it, the, the coping strategies were, 
uh, where, where I found a kind of baseline uh, of, of, of an approach and then I followed that through. So the first thing was exercise. So after um, the first round of chemo, I two weeks out, so you, chemo hits you for a couple of weeks and then you start to feel all right on the third week. So on the, on the third week, um, I went out for a walk, did walk 12 kilometers, like, like crazy amount really, pretty, maybe a bit stupid. And then on the field, just up my house, got a really nice kind of area where we go walking. Um, I went for, a, I had a run across the field. So previously, if I took the, put the bins out, I'd go into atrial fibrillation with this massive tumor pressing against my heart. So I ran off, ran across the field, no atrial fibrillation. So that was a good sign. So that was one of those things. So, so when you think about like, you know, in, in life as a whole, and especially my working life, you're trying to measure performance all the time, measure how things are going, um, seeing the effectiveness of it. So that was a very clear indication that something was working because that was the problem I had before and it's gone away. So, so that was hugely reassuring for the mind. But you've got to be quite creative in this journey because you're on your own a lot of the time. Or, sorry, not with your, the medical people for the majority of the time. You've got to find, you've got, yeah, you've got to be quite creative in the way that you try and find something to disperse some of those things that are going on in your mind and so on. And certainly having those things and just the physical place, uh, sorry, the physical exercise and stuff like that, having my family around me, having some happy places or places that I can, you know, not uh, some physical and some just, um, you know, a place to reflect and a place to sort of get on with life. And my, my, um, this dissertation supervisor, Dr. Harriet Short, um, who's my cr uh, creative inspiration, I always say, she's done a huge amount of work on space uh, and what it means, so physical space. She's actually did a huge amount of work on, um, uh, on a, a PhD was on um, the space that hairdressers in central London used um, to gather their thoughts and, and, you know, to think about their, their life and think about how they can be better at their career. And just generally, you know, it was generally very, very interesting how these physical spaces help you. And, and my physical space and my outlet was in my, is in my garage. So go-karts are my thing. So I've been restoring a couple of go-karts and I go in there and I, it just take me my mind off of, of everything. It would just take me away and I would, and I'd really enjoy it. And I would just, remove myself from this thing that was going on and then the other thing was kind of an alternative way um, an alternative approach um, and that was through and I've mentioned Janie Barrett already from Penny Brom and I mean she's just been I mean incredible all the way through this journey so so she we we have these uh, what I call them mindfulness sessions they're relaxation sessions um, and we do that and so this is the space this is the, the, the beyond physical space that I'm talking about and trying to find, you know, peace, tranquility, perhaps, and, and, and kind of trying to find, you know, perhaps a way forward through some of these difficult times that I was having. Uh, and, and we'd, um, yeah, we'd have these relaxation sessions. They were online, one-to-one, -one, uh, and we would do a lot of visualization, um, a lot of talking about breathing. And breathing was really prominent because, the treatment affected my breathing uh, and I just felt great. I just escape everything and just feel great. And to this day, uh, I see Janie twice a week. Um, she's more than just a, um, you know, relaxation coach now for sure. And she's just been, you know, one of my kind of coach and mentors all the way through and having, you know, that, ex that experience in my life and having that go-to kind of place has just been 
hugely important to me and and yeah so that there and, and that's been uh my strategy to cope all the way through using those things that's really is really really awesome to hear really really cool i love the thought of you tinkering away in the garage on your on your go-karts that's really cool <laughs> you mentioned that you've mentioned the charity a couple of times penny bron yeah um we're kind of uh i'm gonna start wrapping up now but we've got a plan together in due course uh something close to my heart and bringing together something close to your heart tell the listeners what what we're gonna what we're gonna do yeah so what we're gonna do so so carrying on with this fitness thing and and trying to get myself um back in shape um there's a few things that we we, that that, that i'm definitely going to go so so i think you know go back to your previous question around what you're going to take forward well i think you know definitely presence around family just being healthy treating my body right treating my mind right you know all of these things i'm going to keep you know take forward i i i say i'm not a philanthropist and i think that you you don't label yourself as a philanthropist by any means i'm not saying that at all but i think i want to you know continue on this journey where i'm you know my life is about others but at the same time think about self um and one of the things that um, yeah, I really want to do is, is give, give something back. So, uh, well, it's a true two-pronged thing, actually. So we could be a bit selfish for the first part of it. So, so I want to build myself up physically. Um, I want to challenge myself. I want to get back to how I was before. Um, but at the same time, I want to give something back. So, you know, Penny Bond has become hugely, um, a huge part of my life, mate, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. Um, and it was not just Jamie there. There's other people, the nutritionist, Nikki, and, have some uh, fitness and Alex, the, the um, uh, who does acupuncture, and they've all been me, been with me through this journey. And it's a charity that offers support to people like me going through these adverse situations uh, and are ultimately suffering, <coughs> excuse me, from cancer. Um, and they offer pre-COVID, they offer in this incredible retreat place I've not seen, which is over in Easter Compton near Bristol. And now everything's online, and they're you know, this is difficult. People are out there really struggling. You've heard the stories around, you know, delays in treatment and so on. You know, unfortunately, I've not seen any of that on my journey in the RUH. I really haven't. I've not heard of it. Um, but, but um, you know, charities as a whole are struggling. So I, I definitely like to give something back to them. So the, the first bit, as I say, is the physical bit. And I want to get up Snowden. And I want yes. you to come with me and coach me through it. Uh, mountain goat as i call you <laughs> mountain greatest of all time yeah 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 cool i'll take that <laughs> yeah or just go, <laughs> just go yeah. like a goat no um uh, <laughs> and so yeah i think that would just be a huge challenge so I've, uh, as part of this kind of physical recovery i've been out and um and I, I and i called you the other day and i said i'm going to go on, on a walk i'm going to go up to kelston round hill and then up to lansdowne which is the highest point in bath so it's Two two hundred and twenty meters above sea level, um, and sea level, we're about eight. Bath by the river is about eight meters above sea level. So you, yeah, two hundred meters up, something like that, and that's a quarter of the a fifth of the height, should I say, of Snowden. So not insignificant from, for a bloke that's just gone through all this treatment. Anyway, I, you know, we had this, we had the crap, we had the conversation. Yeah, what I a great felt start. nervous as hell, didn't I? Yeah. I was so nervous. Um, Oh, can I do it? You know, it is a big thing for me. Anyway, smashed it up there. We did a 16 K walk, um, took a picture from, for, for you at the top of the round. Yeah, and it felt yeah. really great. So 
I want to use that as, uh, moving forward, that motivation. Motivation physically for me, motivation of hopefully trying to support others in this charity that we're, 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 we're going to support, which is, which is Penny Bronze. So I think we're gonna, we've got that pencil in for a bit later in the year. And um, yeah, that's the goal, mate. Let, let's do it. I can't wait. Genuinely can't wait. Well, look, mate, I, you, the, the, I don't really know the right words. What an amazing story. It's not a story, it's real life. What an amazing journey that you've you've shared with us today. I genuinely, personally, I, I appreciate you sharing the story with me. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm really pleased that you've you've opened up and shared the story with the listeners as well. For those that know you and for those that don't, it's a real inspiration. There's there's so much great things to take away, your strategy strategies through adversity, your positivity, all the great things that have come out the other side, your reflection back to to pre-COVID, all these things. I'm I'm really I'm pretty confident that the future's bright for you, mate, and um in many, many ways. And 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 you know, 2020 just a speed bump, you know. It's um it's been really great. Thanks, mate. I, I genuinely appreciate it. And I can't wait to actually see you in person soon. It's been far too long. And we'll definitely get you up Snowden. No problem at all. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much, Ali. Um, nice one. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, m- maybe we can have a pint when we get to the top of Snowden. Is that, uh, is that right? Definitely. We'll take a hip flask. Yeah. And uh, you do know that I'm, <laughs> I know that you're 39 next week and I'm, you do know I'm 40 the following day, don't you? So yes. Let's for- the 40th year is going to be a good one. Definitely. 100%. All right, mate. Thanks, guys. And to the listeners, thank you very much again for listening to the Evolve Pods. Uh, this is the kickoff for season three. We've got some more awesome content coming your way next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.